section fifteen of the english restoration and louis the fourteenth by osmond airy this librivox recording is in the public domain recording by pamela nagami chapter eleven england persecution of dissent the dutch war part two number five the war sixteen sixty five in spite of the disorder which reigned at the admiralty so vividly described by pepys an english fleet such as had never been gathered together before was ready for sea in the spring of sixteen sixty five no fewer than one hundred and nine large vessels with thirty of smaller size manned by twenty-one thousand men many of them old commonwealth sailors and armed with four thousand one hundred and ninety-two guns sailed under the command of james the dutch fleet under the veteran optum was of the same size but manned with more numerous crews and armed with heavier guns this superiority was however corrected by the greater knowledge of the art of sea warfare which the english had learnt under blake nothing says an eyewitness can equal the good order of the english their line is perfect and thus an enemy who comes near them has to undergo their whole fire they fight like a line of cavalry in perfect discipline whilst with the dutch the various squadrons leave their ranks and come separately to the charge the fleets met off lowestoft at four a m on june third the explosion of opdam's vessel was the turning point of the battle and the dutch withdrew in confusion tromp with his squadron alone keeping up the fight but for the negligence of the english in ceasing the pursuit during the night the hostile fleet would have been annihilated as it was the dutch had lost besides the admiral three vice-admirals nineteen first-rates and seven thousand men the english loss was four ships and fifteen hundred men that in officers as in all the battles of this war being proportionately great the medal struck in london to celebrate the victory bore the proud motto et pontus servoyet for a time deep discouragement weighed upon the dutch but the spirit of de witt rose with disaster the penalties due for flight were sternly meted out three captains were shot six more were degraded and had their swords broken above their heads a superb mausoleum was raised at the hague in honour of the dead light vessels put out to warn the different merchant fleets at sea Rowder arrived opportunely with his guinea squadron while the east indian and mediterranean fleets also reached holland with but small loss meanwhile the dutch had been attacked from another side bernard van galen bishop of munster was the last representative of those warrior prelates who had been conspicuous in the middle ages his youth had been passed in the army and his vast wealth enabled him to indulge the military taste which he had retained his position on the dutch frontier gave him at this time special importance and charles the second who knew that he had standing causes of jealousy with his neighbours had skilfully secured his assistance in june sixteen sixty five an alliance had been concluded by which in return for a heavy subsidy the bishop engaged to maintain an army of thirty thousand men and to attack the dutch within two months the republic was almost incapable of resistance the fortifications were out of repair 
the best troops were on board the fleet and she could oppose this attack with but seven thousand untrained men the bishop entered dutch territory took zutphen and overran the province of overissel upon the sea however the dutch had once more asserted their supremacy a fresh fleet raised by the efforts of de witt had sailed in the midst of the stormy season to challenge their foes wherever they might be found the challenge was in vain london was panic-stricken by the plague the crews of the english fleet were themselves infected and the sixty ships at the mouth of the thames lay sullenly inactive the dutch were compelled at length to return to their own shores without firing a gun none the less the expedition had served to raise the courage of their country and to show the english how far they still were from the victory to which they had so confidently looked forward number six dutch alliances de witt now again pressed louis to fulfil his treaty engagements otherwise he threatened that he would make peace and enter into close alliance with the english for louis this meant a serious obstacle to the carrying out of his great project he was moreover nettled at the coolness with which charles the second had in the flush of a first success treated his offers of mediation he therefore declared his intention of sending a fleet to join the dutch in the north sea and at the same time maintaining a squadron in the mediterranean he promised to employ his diplomacy in their favour wherever he had influence in europe and to assist their intrigues with all charles's discontented subjects as soon as he was informed of charles's treaty with the bishop of munster he sent a corps to join the dutch troops who were resisting the prelate the conduct of the french showed however how little their sympathies lay with their nominal allies they behaved as if they were in a hostile country they pillaged the people and insulted their religion they openly cursed the dutch cause and they drank publicly in the market-place of maastricht to the healths of the king of england and the bishop of munster the french commander successfully avoided every favourable opportunity for attacking the bishop's troops and indeed acted in such a way as to raise to the utmost the ill-will already existing between the two nations nevertheless the fact that france was in alliance with the dutch and had actually declared war against england january sixteen sixty six had given far greater weight to the diplomacy of the states-general they baffled charles's ambassador in sweden and succeeded in restraining that country from joining england they formed with denmark an alliance february eleventh sixteen sixty six by which she bound herself to place forty ships at their disposal the elector of brandenburg february sixteenth sixteen sixty six promised to force the bishop to make peace and the heads of the house of brunswick luneberg in consequence offered their good will heavy subsidies were paid by the dutch in each case the result was that the warlike bishop was compelled april sixteen sixty six to renounce the english alliance and to sign an ignominious peace when the rival fleets again put to sea in the early summer of sixteen sixty six england was without an ally from bergen to bayonne there was not a friendly port open to her ships six months later october twenty seventh sixteen sixty six 
after the campaign which has now to be described these different treaties were completed and confirmed by a closer defensive alliance for ten years between the republic denmark brandenburg and brunswick luneburg by which each power agreed to assist the others with all its forces in case of new aggression it thus relieved the republic from her dangerous dependence on louis and it was the first sign of that tendency to coalition against france which henceforward is so marked a feature of the politics of europe number seven the war sixteen sixty six meantime great events had been passing on the sea on june first sixteen sixty six the fleets had met off the dunes and during four days had waged the most terrible sea fight in history Rauder and tromp with one hundred vessels were confronted by an english fleet under monk rendered greatly inferior in numbers by the necessity of dispatching rupert with twenty vessels to meet the french fleet which louis however who only desired to see the two great naval powers destroying one another carefully kept back the battle raged from midday until dusk some idea of the slaughter may be gathered from the fact that in an english vessel which went into action with three hundred men but forty were left alive at six next morning the contest was renewed the day's fighting won against the smaller fleet and monk fell back sullenly and in perfect order toward the english coast the next day however rupert rejoined him and thus strengthened the english prepared for a third struggle Rauder summoned all his captains to his own vessel and told them that upon the issue of that day depended not only their own fate but that of the republic fighting began at nine in the morning and lasted with desperation for six hours without advantage to either side then Rauder hoisted the red flag the signal for a general and final effort with such desperate valour was he obeyed that he twice pierced his enemy's line still it was only after incessant fighting lasting till dusk that the english gave way and so shattered was his own fleet that he did not attempt to pursue his advantage he had lost three vice-admirals two thousand men and four ships on the english side five thousand men had been killed and three thousand taken prisoners eight ships of the line had been sunk or burnt and nine more remained in the hands of the dutch almost without the loss of a day each side prepared to renew the struggle the dutch sailed from the tessel on july fourth before the end of the month an english armament the finest and best equipped that had left her shores sallied from the thames on august fourth monk and Rauder met off the norfolk coast to try conclusions once more after another long day of carnage the dutch this time decisively beaten sought safety in confusion in the shallows of zealand the english signalized their mastery by a daring and successful act in the harbour of flea at the entrance of the zuiderzee one hundred sixty merchant ships were riding in apparent safety a single english frigate followed by five fire-ships managed to penetrate the narrow passages the fire-ships were let loose and the whole fleet with the exception of nine vessels was destroyed the loss was estimated at a million sterling internal troubles were at the same time pressing upon de witt as misfortunes gathered round the republic 
men's thoughts turned more strongly to the family under whom the early greatness of their country had been achieved five provinces with zealand the second in influence at their head now declared for peace and for the restoration of the house of orange even in holland de witt's own province the cause made way harlem and leyden were unanimous for the prince it was demanded that he should be named captain-general of the cavalry and should have a place in the council of state other towns urged that the republic should adopt him as the child of the state and undertake his education lest he should grow up in english principles unable otherwise to nullify the intrigues of the adherents of the prince of orange de witt determined to follow this last suggestion he himself undertook as mazarin had formerly done with louis to instruct the prince in the art of government already the intelligence power of dissimulation and persistence of william's character was such as to strike an intelligent observer in other respects de witt was in good hope not only had his indomitable energy enabled him once more to send forth a fleet which in vain challenged rupert at the mouth of the thames and thus restored the honour of the flag but he found that england was herself anxious for peace london was in ruins from the fire the navy despite its late successes was in a desperate condition the state of the treasury compelled charles to retrench his expenses this he did not by any diminution in the shameless extravagance of his pleasures but by starving the navy to such an extent that although parliament had made another grant of one million eight hundred thousand pounds england was obliged to act strictly on the defensive the sole office of her warships as in the days of james i being to convey the colliers from newcastle to london from the scotch came bitter outcries at the strangling of their trade which owing to the rigorous protection laws of england was almost exclusively with the dutch ireland was equally distressed while as for england herself her feelings were shown by the address of the speaker on january eighteenth sixteen sixty seven who alluding to the terrible exhaustion of the kingdom prayed charles in the name of the people to put an end to this desolating war evidently says clarendon the dutch could endure being beaten longer than england could endure to beat them charles seized the opportunity of returning to his natural personal connection with france in february sixteen sixty seven lord st albans was secretly sent to paris to conclude an engagement on the basis that england should enter into no connection during sixteen sixty seven with the house of austria while louis was to support all charles's interests in or out of the kingdom the final form which this intrigue took an intrigue kept entirely secret from the english ministers and contained only in autograph letters from both monarchs to the queen mother in whose house the negotiations had taken place was number one each pledged himself not to enter during a year into any alliance contrary to the interests of the other number two louis agreed to hold back the fleet with which he had promised to help the dutch and number three charles was to allow him a free hand in the spanish low countries number eight the dutch in the thames treaty of breda sweden having offered her mediation a conference met in may sixteen sixty seven at the neutral town of breda for a long while it was found impossible to come to terms exhausted as both nations were 
neither had reduced the other sufficiently to gain the commercial advantage on which they were bent it was now that de witt looking anxiously across the frontier to the spanish low countries into which louis had already marched determined upon a decisive stroke suddenly on june seventh when charles was at a drunken revel at the duchess of monmouth's all mad in hunting of a poor moth the sound of guns was heard in the thames it was the dutch fleet of sixty-one men of war which under router and john de witt's brother cornelius had come to revenge upon england the insult of flie mounting the thames as far as gravesend and driving the english vessels before them they took sheerness sailed as far as upner and along the medway to rochester burnt three english men of war and succeeded in capturing the royal charles which was taken in triumph to holland then router sailed proudly along our coasts vainly challenging a contest at harwich portsmouth torbay dartmouth and plymouth the immediate effect of this daring blow was to extort peace on july thirty first sixteen sixty seven the treaty of breda was signed and a month later ratified its terms were the terms of a drawn battle each nation was to retain all conquests made both before and during the war up to may tenth sixteen sixty seven either in territory or ships and the treaty of sixteen sixty two was annulled the effect of this was that england kept new york and the dutch suriname and polaroon the act of navigation was so far relaxed that dutch vessels were allowed to bring dutch german and flemish goods into english ports the salute to english men-of-war in british waters was again allowed but only as a matter of courtesy the treaty of sixteen sixty two as far as it regarded commerce was renewed each country was to protect the other against all enemies whatsoever at the same time treaties were made by england with france and denmark france restored st christopher and gave up antigua and montserrat england restored acadia or nova scotia denmark was admitted to commercial equality the great struggle for the command of the sea and the commerce of the world was over for the time only because the combatants exhausted and bleeding needed repose it had decided nothing and left behind it hatred and mistrust but hatred and mistrust yield to the pressure of a common danger even before peace was concluded all eyes had been turned from breda to the victorious march of louis's armies the era of french aggression in europe had begun End of section 15